Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Step Outside podcast. I'm your host, Christy Heal Blackman. Today, our podcast is a little bit different because everyone at the University of Tennessee is working from home and we're recording this in April. So we're actually doing this podcast over a Zoom recording. So apologies that we don't have our normal, nice sounding audio, but we're going to work through it and we hope you still enjoy this episode. Today, we're joined by Brittany Panos, and Brittany is a master's student in Professor David Bueller's lab, and she's getting her master's in wildlife and fishery science. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for calling in to Zoom. Uh, We're in different states. Brittany is currently in Florida, and I'm obviously recording here in Tennessee, but we're going to make this work. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Brittany, to start off, can you just dive into your master's research and tell us what you're studying? So I am a master's student in Dr. David Wheeler's lab, and all of his students in his lab are avian-focused, so we all do bird research. And my research specifically is looking at bird use and abundance in what is known as cover crop fields. It's a type of agricultural practice that the Natural Resource Conservation Service has created an incentive program for. So essentially, the NRCS, which is a part of the USDA, provides the seed mixture and gives money to farmers to plant these cover crops during the off-season, so when corn and soybean and cotton and other cash crops are not being grown, and to have the cover crops in the field because from previous research, they've seen that cover crops help improve soil quality as well as water quality. They also claim that it's good for wildlife, but there's not a lot of research on it. So my research is focusing on what birds are using it, what amount of birds are using it, and are they using it more than, say, fields without cover crop? Very interesting. What essentially made us realize that we need to look further into this specific research? Well, one of the main things is that birds in general in North America are declining in population. A recent study provided by Cornell had shown that we have lost about 30% of our birds in North America, and that's individuals. So that's about 3 billion birds since 1966 have been lost. And we know that the majority of these birds are lost due to habitat loss. And one of the major, the major factors into habitat loss has been agricultural practices. We've removed native habitats such as grasslands, which is one of the most endangered habitat types in North America now, for agricultural practices. And that's all necessary because we are humans and we need agriculture to survive. But if there's ways that we can combine agriculture with conservation and using proper and good sound agricultural practices that can potentially aid our wildlife, then that's good research. And if these cover crops are more than just improving soil quality and water quality and can actually help our native birds, then that would be a really good sign and a really good step towards conservation. And so currently, how many farmers are using cover crops? So in the state of Tennessee, we have over 1,000 landowners. And for me, particularly, I've been working with approximately 20 or so landowners. I have about five landowners in each county, and I work in four counties across the state. 
mm-hmm. particularly two in Western Tennessee, Lauderdale and Crockett County, and two in Middle Tennessee, which are Coffee and Robertson County. And with that, we have, I believe, over 250,000 acres throughout the state that are in cover crop at the moment. Would you say that's a, a large percentage of agricultural area that's using cover crops, or is it still a little used practice at this point? It's pretty well used. I would say it's a large amount of cover crops, and we have more people joining into the incentive program. But mm-hmm. we also are seeing that some people, they join the incentive program for a period of time, maybe two or three years, and then they go off it for a few years and then go back on. So I think it's pretty steady, and especially because there is money involved and these landowners really are getting a nice amount of money mm-hmm. to plant the cover crop, but they just plant the seed. And then when it comes time to plant their cash crops like corn and soybean, they just terminate their cover crops however they see fit and plant their cash crops and rinse and repeat. It sounds like a, a very useful process if it's you know benefiting the soil and the environment and also has the potential to benefit these avian species that we're looking at. Yeah, you know, it provides benefits to both the environment and to the landowner. And I think that's one of the key ways that we can help further conservation is really making sure that our agricultural landowners know that they're appreciated and that the work that they can do can really help impact our planet and our animals and our flora. I know that grassland bird species in particular have faced a lot of population declines in the recent decades. Are these cover crops mimicking native grassland habitat or, you know, are grassland birds the main focus of this project or is it multiple types of birds? That's kind of the question that we're really looking at is, can we use these cover crops as kind of a pseudo habitat? And myself particularly, I'm very fond of grassland species. I've worked with grassland species before my master's and mm-hmm. they're, like you said, a very an important sector of birds to look into, especially because they are declining so heavily. So we're hoping that these cover crops can actually act as that pseudo habitat and From what I had seen this past season was a lot of grassland birds do utilize these cover crop areas. We'll get lots Mm -hmm. of meadowlarks and sparrows, but we also get other birds that are more urbanized or more generalist species, kind of like our robins. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, non-native species like starlings using the fields as well. So we're hoping that... (laughs) Uh, yeah, of course, they're, starlings love to use anything. Yeah, um, as long as there's food involved. Yeah, as long <laughs> as there's food involved, they're there. Um, right. So once we start analyzing the data, it'd be really interesting to see, okay, are we seeing more grassland obligate species here? Mm-hmm. And one of the species in particular that we're really looking for in this project are northern bobwhite which I'm sure you know in the state of Tennessee and kind of just all over in the southern U.S. where their range is, they are not doing particularly well. Their Mm -hmm. populations have declined and they're kind of a a grassland using bird, but they also kind of like more old field shrubby habitat. And I have thankfully heard a few of them kind of on the outskirts of our fields. So I'm hoping that if they're not using the fields, maybe they're using the edges of the fields. That might be potential good habitat for them. What do you expect to find when you begin your field research? Because I know because of the COVID outbreak, your your schedule has been disrupted. But 
whenever you can actually get into the field, what are some of your hypotheses for what you will find? What we're thinking is going to happen is that we're going to see a lot more bird use in these cover crop fields because the cover crops themselves are very diverse in the type of plantings that they use. And the landowners can each choose a different mix. They choose a mix of cover crops depending on what their field needs. And NRCS helps determine that for them. So a lot of these mixes, a lot of the herbaceous plantings in these mixes are things like different types of wheats and radishes and clovers, all these different kinds of vegetation that can provide nutrients to a variety of different species by what hangs around it, the bugs and everything. And if they're an edible type of plant, some birds may even try to eat those things, you know, like once the wheat actually starts to flower and everything, they could potentially feed on the seeds and all that. Unfortunately, like you said, I haven't been able to go out, particularly for migration and nesting. So my research really was supposed to go from January until June, and we were going to look at wintering, migration, and nesting. Mm -hmm. I did get wintering data. And from what we see that there is quite a lot of use in these cover crop fields, but we're not seeing too much of a difference at this point. But again, I only have a small set of data so far and still have to go through it. So hopefully we do see some differences between fields that aren't in cover crop, which we do survey some fields that are not in cover crop, and then the fields that we do have that are in cover crop. And I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot more birds using those cover crop fields compared to non-cover crop fields. And so going off something you just mentioned, so how does the planting schedule for farmers coincide with the biological schedule of birds and their wintering habits and their nesting habits? How, how are those two cycles working together or are they? That's one thing we're also looking at is when establishment of these cover crops impact birds, whether or not that happens and whether or not the termination of cutter crops impacts them. Because right now in April, landowners are beginning to terminate their fields. And for those who may not know, a lot of birds at this point are actually just migrating through from South America to their breeding grounds. So we have a lot of our breeding birds returning in Tennessee. And some birds can start breeding as early as April, but most of them won't begin to start their breeding until late April, May, and for the bobwhite in particular, June. So we know that if they're terminating their cover crops in April, are these birds going to be able to breed on these grounds? And that's one of the most unfortunate things about this whole pandemic is that this is such a critical point in time, and I really wish I was out there to see whether or not birds are utilizing that. So right. we're hoping that we can figure out, are birds still utilizing these cover crop lands, even if they're terminated and are beginning to be cash crops of fields? How are they being used in the winter? In the winter, the cover crops themselves are just very, very short, you know, not even mm -hmm. past my foot. And then once March comes around, they start bursting and growing, and some of them were up to the mid of my um, my shin and some up to my knees. So it's a huge habitat change and bird abundance and use is going to differ in the span of a month. Right. And it's information that we really want to get. And I'm excited for next year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, no pandemic happens next year. We yeah. can <laughs> actually see that happen because seeing it in the winter was really interesting and I know that from the short period of time that we were in Tennessee still in March, we were seeing some changes in bird species on the fields. 
Well, hopefully what we can do is bring you back to tell us about some of your findings after you get a successful research season under your belt. So we would love to have you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Or are there any points that you feel like you haven't hit yet? If anyone gets anything out of this is that our birds are declining and that we can help them. And even the little things like changing the way we shop and the things that we buy and even putting up a bird feeder during migration can have a big impact on what our birds are doing and how they're surviving. So if you are thinking about how to help the birds, there's a lot of great resources online. And if you're a landowner that's listening to this and you've been thinking about getting on the Covercraft train, definitely do. It's not only good for your soil and your water, but it could be potentially good for the birds too. And it would be nice if if that's what we find, it'd be really nice to have more cover crop fields out there. Yeah. And so if any landowners are listening and are interested, how would they find out more information about this incentive for planting cover crops? If you just do a quick Google search for NRCS cover crop incentive program, you can find it'll take you straight to the page and It'll help you get into contact with your local NRCS district conservationist, and that's who you can contact and hopefully get involved in the project. Great. That's excellent. I'm glad you mentioned just helping migratory birds with bird feeders, and I am anxiously awaiting my first hummingbird of the season. I've got my feeders out, so. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) We'll see if they show up. Yeah, I was hoping, you know, since I'm in Florida, hummingbirds love it here and haven't had any other bees yet. So fingers crossed one shows up at some point. (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed in Tennessee as well. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting to hear about your research plans. And we will hopefully have you back after you finish your, your research season. So best of luck. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed hearing about this research on cover crops and how they affect birds. And we hope you will join us next time for the next episode of Step Outside. For more real-life solutions provided by the UT Institute of Agriculture, go to our website at ag.tennessee.edu.